Welcome to the Co-op Power Hour on KGNU's It's the Economy. Uh, this is actually our last show of the Co-op Power Hour. We've been joining you on the fourth Thursday of every month to learn about economic democracy and cooperative business. We've been doing this since what February of 2017, almost two years, and we're wrapping up the show, uh, uh, moving on to some new things. And and today we're going to talk about uh, we're going to reflect back on this experience. We got a bunch of people in the studio who've been part of this show and of the co-op study circle uh, uh, that it grew out of. And so we're just going to gab for a while about uh, what the last few years of building a cooperative ecosystem here in in the Front Range has been like, um, uh, where we find ourselves now and what we can build uh, uh, for the future. Uh, so uh, let's just go around and introduce ourselves to uh, to whoever's listening. I'm, I'm Nathan Schneider. I teach in media studies at CU Boulder, uh, study co-ops in the digital economy. And I'm Katie Falkenberg. I'm a member owner of a worker cooperative here in Colorado called Good Good Work. I'm Amy Lynn Herman. I'm an event producer in the region. I'm Caroline Savory. I'm a co-op developer independently and with Rocky Mountain Farmers Union and a co-founder of Cosmos.coop. I'm Paul Bindle. I'm a freelance marketing and communications guru, and I uh, help out with the Colorado Solidarity Fund. Okay, so where should we start? Well, maybe we should look back and just sort of say what happened these last two years, like since the Colorado Co-op Study Circle has been around. The study circle, let's start with that. Maybe a bit before that in 2016, that started, I think Caroline and I started having some conversations. I remember a diner of some sort being involved and feeling the need for what? What were we feeling the need for? Yeah. Um, so at the time, um, I think you and I both, Nathan, were somewhat frustrated with the lack of um, education and also community engagement resources in the in Denver and in the Front Range more broadly. Um, and I had a lot of ideas for educational or curricula or programming and, and you were like, let's just, we need, somebody needs to do it. Let's just do it. Let's put something together. Let's have something like a, a study circle, um, all about co-ops and just make it an open invite, kind of a social event, um, half networking for the people who come and half, you know, education on a specific topic. Um, so this kind of loose, idea to start having monthly events um, on the last Tuesday of the month, I believe. Um, and so we just kind of started that and we were surprised with how popular it became. And, and we weren't really <laughs> prepared for that, actually. I think we, we thought it might not go anywhere, but here it was. We had great attendance at our first several events um, and it was it was a good time. Yeah. And it, like for me, it came out of an experience, too, where I had just moved from New York. Uh, and I was in the midst of this, you know, project that became this book, um, Everything for Everyone, about cooperative movement, and and I'd been really involved in what had, you know, what was building in New York City at the time, and it was it was very exciting. And moved out to Colorado to teach here, and I just wasn't sure what we'd find. And and when I arrived soon after, I started meeting some of you all, and started realizing like, oh my gosh, this is it's it's building here. There's you know, conversations and connections happening about building, you know, pretty serious, you know, new generation ecosystem for democratic businesses here. And, um, but, but a lot of it, like the meetings I was having, you know, where I met you, for instance, it was like in office buildings, right? You know? <laughs> and, and it felt like, okay, it's good that people in office buildings are talking about this, but uh, let's also bring it to other more accessible spaces. And I remember when, I think it was back in 2014 or 20, must have been 2015, Nathan, you were starting to convene people at meetings. You were selectively picking people that you had met around the area and were putting them in rooms intentionally oh, to yeah, try and form that. something. <laughs> and it just kind of never took off because everyone was like, um, so we're really busy and like, what are we supposed to be doing here? But I think that... Um, the study circle that came out of it was the perfect thing to happen because now it seems like it's branching off into all these different working groups and initiatives, which is seems like um, the seed was planted well. And I even remember at our first meeting, which was at Prodigy Coffee, um, we had people like Joe Ewing who came in and was like super interested mm -hmm. in the cooperative model. And then he went on to found 
his own um, co-working co-op. Wayfinder yeah. co-op, which has been on the show. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so like that was just sort of like it was not even a seed at that point because he was focusing on his other business, Desta, at that time and trying to consider it that the possibility for a co-op with that. And so just like I think the the study circle has kind of created this space for imagination to happen and for people to sort of who are interested, who have an inkling that like, oh, there's a different way to do business. There's a different way to organize this. Um, to foster that and kind of like connect them to the resources or the people they need to to develop it. And uh, some of the early feedback we got from our first, just first couple of events was that people really appreciated the opportunity to just be in the same room with others who shared the passion for co-ops who, you know, really aspired to do great things with co-ops and be successful with it, um, regardless of what, what industry the co-op was in or, you know, how knowledgeable the person was. It was just great to feel a sense of community around co-ops. And for me, it was actually um, the globality and the potential of co-ops that really um, triggered my attention. Um, I remember attending um one of uh, the first events that you hosted at Impact Hub Boulder, now defunct space, um, sadly. Um, And it involved people from Canada. It involved people um, in communities I hadn't uh, had any interaction with around uh, building creative co-ops and arts-oriented community and what the future of that looks like, but also how is that different from um, other forms of business. So for me, it was um, really dissecting the wider wider opportunities at play to do cultural shift work um, and to to hack um, existing business uh, platforms in a way that uh, creates a groundswell of opportunity for a lot of people and and new forms of community wealth practices. Yeah. And, you know, I I think there are also questions about what we should be doing, right? You know, we had a lot of different ideas out there. Like, should we be, you know, I remember the first one, you brought a big box full of books um, and, you know, and then um, there were, there were a lot of asks for like really practical things. Um, I think the most popular, the most well-attended event was, um, ask a lawyer. It was, you know, the great Linda Phillips, yeah. uh, one of our amazing, uh, area co-op lawyers, um, just like holding court at, uh, at, what is it? Modworks. Yeah. Right? Modworks. And everyone was just like asking questions about housing co-ops. She was like, Oh, yeah. I haven't thought about this in a while. <laughs> yeah. And it was, you know, she's somebody who's been doing this for a while. She's been, she, she's, uh, uh kind of, she's one of these bridge, uh, people between the you know the the legacy that we have to build on and the the new generation that's stepping in and trying to uh, uh, trying to uh, kind of build the the next phase of this movement and and it was awesome because people really wanted to get down to the down to the details um, and then I I think also it was in conflict with my like very very nerdy aspirations where I wanted to do things like you know one of my favorite ones was going up to the Grange. Uh, uh, near Longmont, you know, and just like hearing from this, this uh, uh, fantastic woman whose family uh, uh, ancestors set up the Grange and just hearing her talk about what it meant for her family, you know, how these farmers uh, 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 organized together, built cooperatives together, had weird secret handshakes and interesting little um, uh, hardware that they used for their decision making, Um, you know, all that, that stuff maybe not so relevant to the to the to the awesome young co-op entrepreneurs that want to support in some ways but uh, but um also kind of connect us i hope to a a past that we are in danger of forgetting because these stories aren't told nearly enough but it was kind of after that that attendance started tapering off (laughs) yeah and well i think we were sort of things were picking up in other ways too so there was like energy or interest in the worker co-op stuff. And Katie, you organized several events to just bring worker co-ops together. Yeah, we were just having social hours, like a happy hour for people just to get to know each other and build community, which feels still very necessary. And I think that um, it was really popular at first because people are really hungry for that kind of community and to be able to connect with other people in similar cultural situations in their office spaces or their workspaces, um, similar thinking. I think if that's going to continue, which I 
it certainly should. Um, it needs to be a bit more inclusive. I would say that was the big drawback to that is that the, you know, the whole happy hour thing in Denver is that people with kids who have to go home right after work or work different hours aren't going to come to Rhino to have a beer at a craft brewing place. Um, so going forward, uh, the folks that might want to build community that way might have other ideas for how to do that. Like maybe we have weekend picnics or um, bring your family kind of days where all these other kinds of workers um, can show up and, and learn from each other and share stories. Yeah. The electric co-ops have a robot that they bring to the annual meetings, you know, around the state. I forget the name of the robot, robot? but we got to get that robot somehow. (laughs) (laughs) Is it like an actual owner? Does it have... It's like a person inside a robot. Oh, okay. (laughs) It's like an iPad on a Segway. No, no, no. No, it's like a person dressed in a robot suit. Like Like a Mickey Mouse kind of thing. I see. see. And that's supposed to promote the credit... I'm sorry, not the credit union, the the electric co-op? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Why not? Yeah, a mascot. On the note of family-friendly activities, my mentor in co-op development, Lisa Stolarski, who is now based in Detroit, Michigan, she created this little um, activity around a lemonade stand for kids that was run like a co-op to kind of like just kind of get them uh, aware of that you know you can do business cooperatively even at a young age start them off start them off small right (laughs) well actually the electric co-ops too have a camp a summer camp for kids to start their own electric co-op and yeah no it's really that's awesome well on the point of like the channeling the energy i think that's I think th- this has been kind of surprisingly fast moving, at least like that if you imagine the energy of the community as like this person, it's 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 an impatient and and <laughs> and kind of greedy in a good way person, you know, somebody who wants to move forward, right? And so just like sitting around and learning about about 19th century farmers, like maybe a few people are into it, but but actually I think there was a lot of craving to do stuff very quickly right and so so the um you know that format of the study circle kind of died off after about a year people just stopped coming and then um and then uh people started going to the happy hour to the to the um uh, investment club Uh, other things started picking up i'm uh reflecting right now on the rhizomal element of um what um came out of the study circle in reviewing um something that I created, the Colorado Coalition of Co-ops and Social Enterprises, a very, uh, you know, simple Facebook group that now has um, hundreds of members um, as a, as a means to stay abreast of uh, topical interests um, uh, that are happening and things that are happening regionally. Um, I think we can all benefit from the face-to-face interactions. However, it's tough to make the one thing, um, particularly if, Maybe your greater interest is in um, real estate, um, or perhaps your interest is in um, something more health-oriented. So um, I would encourage anyone listening to the show to check that group out. There's a lot of uh, important resource sharing and just a really a log of um, the, the fast-paced movement of, of um, the work in this region. Yeah, I think what, to Amy's point, basically... Uh... Other cities have maybe taken more of a focus on one form of cooperative, but we've always had a cross-sector approach and tried to really be inclusive of like housing co-ops and worker co-ops and electric co-ops and ag co-ops and trying to um, trying to have a bigger tent for all of that. And so um, that Facebook group also facilitates some of that. Totally, totally. I mean, just to give an example, a few, a few of the um, topics that we've covered just on this show, which has been kind of a, a vehicle of the study circle that emerged, at, um, you know, kind of in the midst of it. Um, we had a show on immigrant-run cooperatives, on uh, business conversions to cooperatives, Black Lives Matter and the co-op movement, um, business incubators uh, that are formed as cooperatives, community broadband and and broadband co-ops, uh, artist co-ops, cooperative law, um, uh, uh, new models in, in Westwood, uh, uh, a worker-owned brewery and human resources, agriculture. Um, I think that's that's that that's such an important point. It's really um, unique the way in which we've 
really made an effort to connect not only the different forms of co-ops, but crossing the urban-rural divide that is so significant that often makes the new, more urban uh, cooperative models feel like they're having to reinvent every wheel all at once in many parts of the country. I certainly saw that in New York City, um, whereas in rural areas, cooperatives remain a, a fixture of the, of the economy, especially through rural electric. So, you know, that 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 mix, I think, has been so vital. And um, study circles continue to be such an important part of uh, education in general. When communities are undertaking processes of self-education to explore whether doing a co-op is going to be right for them. Um, so I continue to work on efforts to distribute education, educational efforts and resources um, more broadly through my work with RMFU in the Metro Denver urban sphere this last year, um, along with Jessica Holguin of Community Wealth Building Network. Um, so I, that's something that continues to um, be an effort. At the same time, I think we learned through our study circle organizing that maybe kind of a centralized effort of organizing across the front range is not what's the best way to go about that and the best way to use our energies. So we did kind of retire the study circle. Um, but as you said, you know, this it transitioned into um, that those organizing efforts happening in different ways. And I want to highlight the work that Paul Bindle has done. If you would um, speak about the, the Colorado Solidarity Fund, because the organizing really started to ramp up for that around the time the study circle was retiring right, itself. The energy just yeah. shifted. Mm, yeah, so we basically were inspired by all these other groups throughout the U.S., one in, well, like two in Minneapolis at the time. Now there's four in Minneapolis, um, one in Vermont, one in Boston, one that was forming in Detroit and L.A. And so we just sort of piggybacked on some of that energy and some of that initial work in order to develop a... Um, an investment club that would um, be a source of capital for co-ops. So this, I think, was really successful, or like at least it had more momentum, because it was like an action that people could take that wasn't that didn't require all the work of starting a co-op or like being employed by a co-op, which is maybe that that is its own job, you know. Mm -hmm. And so um, we were trying to create a a way for people who are co-op allies or who believe in co-ops to step up and kind of put some money out there. Um, in order to invest in co-ops and to provide patient capital for co-ops. Um, and that is, that actually was like, you guys say it so fast, but like, it was like a long process. It felt so long and like, oh my gosh, when is it ever going to happen? <laughs> just to like, just to make sure that it would like start and get off the ground and we would have all the mechanisms of, you know, how we pull people's money and then how we make decisions together, all those different aspects. So um it's it's kind of like a study circle with skin in the game yeah. right i mean it's like structured around education you know for, for a model like this you have to be involved everyone has to be involved there's no there's no passive investors you know and so you learn about businesses in the community you have to think through what a good investment looks like and and you, you learn how to read financials read you learn financials. how to how like basically one thing that we're learning right now is like if you invest in the form of a loan or in the form of equity, like how that gets paid back. So those are things that maybe an everyday person doesn't get the chance to learn every day, but in an investment club, you sort of are building the muscles that you need in order to make good decisions and wise decisions. So There's a sig significant amount of teaching and learning in our group too. And I think that um, that intersectional uh, opportunity is, is rare. And in particular, it's something that arises uh, only when you start talking about money, because money is an emotional currency, um, and it's it's something that we funnel a lot of values and beliefs and ideologies, and sometimes even ritual around. Um, so learning about uh, different members' uh, interests in risk and 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 where they where they um, are most interested in in seeing some of our work actualized has been uh, valuable to me. So in particular. Um, learning that some people are, are interested in term sheets and some people are actually not. Um, some people are more interested in formal um, examples of the way that uh, capital is distributed. And some people are, are having these conversations like, what if we don't do business like that? And, and so uh, the opportunity to 
to really dive into how do we create uh, community wealth practices that matter to us um, has been rewarding, and I'm excited to continue on that path. Yeah, and that and the you know study circle resources like our email list, the meetup group, the website. You know, these are you know still living open resources. So if anybody wants to organize a study circle, wants to or you know wherever they are in Colorado, we would love to support you, to amplify you, uh, to help you uh, get the word out and all that sort of thing. So you can find out more information at ColoradoCoops.info. You're listening to the Co-op Power Hour, a regular feature that's been on KGNU's It's the Economy and a production of the Colorado Co-op Study Circle. I'm Paul Bindle. We've been with you here every fourth Thursday of every month, and today is our last day. Um, So we're talking about the past, present, and future of co-ops in Colorado. Coming up, we'll be talking about the present. So what's going on now? Where are we? Ooh, I wanted to um, draw back from the last segment on something that Caroline was talking about, which is building community and how we've had a community that started really grassroots and included lots of different kinds of people and lots of different cooperative situations. And we've splintered off into all these more specialized ways and specialized uh, places for engagement and work. And... I think that that's really important in terms of what's happening now and the energy that's building now in Colorado around cooperatives, because starting grassroots, we have this community of people that have a multitude of interests and we all know each other. Like I'm just thinking back to the shared ownership summit that just happened in November. And I don't know what the attendance was, but I remember being there and feeling like, oh, there's somebody I know and there's somebody else I know. Oh, my gosh. I know like a third of the people here. Maybe not like somebody that would I, I would invite over for dinner, but sure, why not, actually? Um, and it's really nice to see all these people who've been around since the beginning and have s- just started to work on their own specialized interests and we're still all connected. Yeah. And that feels really important. Just seeing each other yeah. is like so essential. That's like the first step. Yeah, totally, totally. And seeing what everybody's currently working on because everyone's starting to do their own things. Yeah, well, the, the um, you know, we need to find the right containers for this and to listen to each other's needs in order to find the the right way to do it. Um, you know, that, that I, I'd like to say a bit about where that shared ownership summit came from. We've, we've discussed this a little bit on, for instance, the last show, uh, Uh, covered this in more depth, but, um, uh, you know, one of the outgrowths of the study circle is that um, we got the interest of this international organization called Cooperatives for a Better World um, in actually looking to Colorado as a a pilot site for developing this model they have been kind of uh, thinking about called cooperative communities. You know, what would it look like to invest resources in connecting cooperatives across a region? And, um, and so they really uh, uh, took uh, um, uh, uh, invested quite a bit in this in this effort. They built a, a platform, Colorado.coop, um, and uh, started doing joint marketing materials. You know, sending uh, mailings out to people around the Front Range. Um, uh, tried to bring people together to talk about purchasing. A really big challenge, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. You know, getting co-ops that have for decades been used to just focusing on their members, their work, what they do, maybe the other businesses like them that operate in their sector, like fellow credit unions or fellow electric co-ops. But that cooperative identity um, is is easier said than done. You know, that cooperation among cooperatives, that's, you know. It's like building new like brain channels, like a new new pathway for neurons yeah. to flow and habits you know and and mm-hmm. these are people who who know that you know they get it right they've been doing this but um you know it it, it was a really challenging process and the the um uh, shared ownership summit over at cu um hosted you know in partnership with the business school there you know was an attempt to bring those people together uh to uh, uh show the showcase the young and the old <laughs> to each other, you know, uh, old in the sense of, you know, the businesses have been around. Uh, and, um, uh, and that was, those were the most moving moments to me at that event. This was on November 7th was when, you know, for instance, um, 
uh, you know, a, the, a small worker co-op was talking about some, you know, their, their challenges with um, engaging members, right? And then somebody from the electric co-ops who have like several or orders of magnitude more members, you know, <laughs> saying, actually, we see this problem the exact opposite way that you do, right? Because of the, nat the nature of our situation is just so different. Seeing those conversations begin to happen um, was really meaningful to me. But at the same time, man, that was, it's so hard. And we're, if we're going to be able to build on the legacy that of cooperatives in Colorado, there's a lot more work to do uh, to, to, um, uh, to connect uh, what we have and what so many people are trying to build. Did you have any moments during the summit where you just like, you heard like a really cool story or you heard someone give a really cool takeaway? I'm just curious, like, or even after the summit, did someone come up to you, like someone from the electric co-ops or, you know, like, I, I would, I'm just curious to hear what you heard. I, again, to me, the, the, the moments that really stuck with me were the ones of seeing the cross-generational thing happening because, you know, that, that this was something that was just nagging at me while working on this book um, was, was just like, oh my gosh, there's so much to build on. And there's so many people who want to build who are reinventing wheels all the time. And just to get them in the room and, you know, make the, you know, the, the people from the, from the ag scene watch, you know, the, the young urban cooperators talk about what they're doing and vice versa. You know, that meant a lot at the same time. Oh my gosh, there's so much, so much more to do. Yeah. It sounds like we're starting to venture into the land of education in co-ops, which is such an important thing. And we were actually the four of us as we were carpooling up here, we're talking about what it means to have education inside of a co-op and external to the co-op. So between co-ops um, and also the greater public and um, how different those initiatives are and those activities are and those uh, learnings are based on the kind of co-op that you are, but also how they're still so similar. Yeah, shifts in culture and in habits and in, you know, communication style, conflict man management style, all of that is very um, salient to having a successful co-op, but we're not necessarily exposed to those opportunities to develop those skills um, in other contexts. And so, uh, you know, in, in my work, I focus a lot on um, those kinds of people systems. Um, and uh, I forget what I was going to say about that. <laughs> I had something more to say. I was well. struck this last fall, I went to Minneapolis to uh, visit with other investment clubs. And Amy was with me as well, and we. I was so struck by the the city of Minneapolis's investment in technical assistance and in education, you know, of co-ops. And so, they had a city program that provided technical assistance. They had a technical assistance program just for women entrepreneurs, and one that was just for African American entrepreneurs. So just like so many baby co-ops starting um, with help and. I was really struck by that. Yeah, and d different cities around the country now, it's so important to recognize, are, are experimenting with different models for how to support. Some are focusing on this technical assistance model. Some are focusing on financing. Um, some are focusing on procurement. Um, and it's still not quite clear. I mean, we'll get to this more later, like what our region is going to do, what our kind of strategy of investment is. But Caroline, I wonder if you could say a bit about the curriculum that you've been developing for RMFU. Yeah, so um, in my work with Rocky Mountain Farmers Union um, this past year, um, this past summer especially, um, I developed a six-part um, open um, educational resource that is a curricula for self-education by communities for co-op uh, awareness and co-op development. And that is what I was going to bring up before that I forgot to say. Um, the first class actually is not a co-ops 101, which is what I would commonly see in many other curricula that I've encountered um, in my studies and my work as a co-op developer. It's actually a class called Building Cooperative Awareness, because I think many communities, the term co-op doesn't even have any purchase for them. It doesn't have any meaning, per se. Um, and there are communities that could benefit tremendously from um, ownership of their, you know, of their own jobs or of their their own companies that um, 
you know, I think first needed um, need some education around the context in which economic cooperation occurs and how economic cooperation, regardless of what it looks like, is something that communities have utilized throughout history to empower themselves when you have um, economically and socially marginalized groups of people. Um, the cooperative model is a way to empower one another through pooling your um, resources and pooling your power as as a community, as a group of people. And so I think um, this, this tool is available uh, for anyone to use. It's open um, Creative Commons licensed, so please feel free to use and modify it in your own communities. Um, we're also exploring doing um, facilitator training, um, enabling facilitators who are actually from various neighborhoods in Denver to provide that education in their own neighborhoods, because I think culturally appropriate education is really important. This is not a one-size-fits-all reality. Co-ops are not one-size-fits-all. They really need to be um, something that fits the context and the situation and the culture of the people who are coming together to do it. Um, Where can people yeah. find it? Um, it, it? It ought to be on RMFU's website, and it is, but the link is not very clear. Um, if you uh, let's, email let's me... Let's put a link yeah. to it on the Study Circle website. Let's do that. Yeah, we'll <laughs> <Yes>. do that. <laughs> yes. Um, and in terms of the uh, what's going on now, um, I just wanted to follow up on that. So we're continuing to try to figure out what we can do with this resource, this um, curricula that I built. Um, but something that... I'm really excited about is working on in 2019 working on the development of hemp producers cooperatives with Rocky Mountain Farmers Union as part of my role with them and uh, that's uh, that's something that I'm really excited about um, coming up and to continue the educational note um, I have been uh, collaborating with walk to connect uh, I took their walking movement leader training. Um, so now I'm equipped to lead my own walks under the banner of Walk to Connect, which is an awesome, awesome worker co-op based in Colorado. And so I'm hoping in 2019 to begin having monthly co-op shop talk and walks uh, <laughs> to basically take the study circle, a similar kind of format to the study circle, on foot and walking around and, uh, you know, interacting. And we might do things like um, local co-op tours of if there's a, a neighborhood where there's multiple co-op locations, we might set up something like that. Um, or just kind of have a, a ramble, as they're called, where we're walking around and we're just talking, discussing our questions, concerns, uh, stories from the work that we're doing. Um, so I just wanted to put that little plug in there to check out the Walk to Connect website in 2019 for those events. And I would love to involve anyone and anyone and everyone who wants to uh, help put those on. Well, so. Walk to Connect is so amazing. I mean, like, yeah. I, I love telling people, especially from outside of here, like, we have a worker co-op that about walking. <laughs> and, and it sounds like so so you know it sounds like what is that but it you go on these walks and it's dead serious and totally joyful and you realize like the the people the worker owners in that in that organization are so serious about what they do and they do it so beautifully and you just realize why is why has this not been part of my life facilitated walking is such a beautiful thing and they're building a real business out of it it's awesome the name Walk to Connect really says it all because their whole idea is that by walking and by walking around your own community and with your neighbors, you really do connect with each other in different ways. And, and to that's, deeper parts of yourself. Yeah, deeper part, the spiritual aspect and all of that. So it really is a beautiful, a beautiful thing. And I've been on some great walks that incorporated co-ops, for instance, in the Westwood neighborhood with Mujeres Emprendedoras and Westwood Food Co-op. Um, that were bilingual. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of really cool opportunities. Um, and there are, at this point, hundreds of walking movement leaders um, throughout the state and beyond. So if anyone's interested in, in plugging in as a walking leader or just as a participant, definitely check out Walk to Connect. You made a great co-op walk here in Boulder with Jared Polis, now uh, governor-elect, um, uh, uh, who was interested in you know exploring some of the co-op sector here. What else is going on? Colorado Solidarity Fund has had its first three months of active membership. 
or I guess three and a half, and we'll be accepting new members starting in March, which is exciting. Um, we currently have 41 people, um, and I think we'll probably be making our first investment in the first quarter of of 2019. So that'll be exciting because we have, I guess, about nine co-ops that have applied for funding. Um, and so, yeah, we'll get to decide who's how we're going to deploy our money. Um, I think there it's worth mentioning that we at Good Good Work, which is rebranding um, and going through a transitional period, that's uh, the worker co-op that I'm part of in Denver, we are also exploring what it might look like to have a freelancers co-op similar to other co-ops that exist around the world. It's a little tricky because of the the entity that we are. We're a 56 co-op, worker co-op, which... Anyway, I won't get into that, but um, Article Fifty Six, Article Fifty Six, yeah. Colorado Co-op Laws. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. can listen it to gets... an episode on Colorado Co-op Laws, like four back, right? <laughs> and the Delaware Co-ops. Yeah, it gets really wonky with like how people are paid and yeah, legal stuff, tax stuff. Anyway, but we're exploring what that looks like because um, it's starting to appear that the next generation or one of the next generations of marginalized workers are gig workers and a good portion of those people the vast majority of them are female-bodied people or female identifying people and a lot of them at childbearing age and they don't have health insurance and they don't have benefits and they don't have social safety net and people are also really socially isolated by doing remote work um, and there's a lot of resource sharing that could happen in that space and so that's something that we're exploring um, so yeah, so folks who want to get involved with that can email me. There's not really a good centralized hub for jumping on board yet, but you can email me individually at Katie, K-A-T-I-E, at good, G-O-O-D dot co-op. Uh, yeah, Katie at good dot co-op. And I'd love to hear what you're up to and hear what your needs are and see... Um, what it is we can build together that will support that community. In 2019, I am uh, deeply focused on building the state and national resources um, to actualize a lot of the um, work that's being done in community and connect it with uh, wider forms of patient capital. Um, Katie and I had the great opportunity to attend um, the DazzleCon Zebras Unite movement <coughs> event in Portland in November of last year. Since that time, there's been quite a bit of movement around um, different forms of alternative capital. In fact, there was an alternative capital summit that was here in Denver um, just a couple months ago. <coughs> but in the car, we were having this conversation about, um, you know, what does it look like um, to um, involve uh, traditional and formal forms of uh, capital in a cooperative movement. Um, and and some of the things that we were talking about included, um, you know, uh, investment with a percentage of earnings with a five-year cap, uh, potentially uh, revenue-based or performance-based, um, and uh, as well as um, integrating with existing programs with SBA and SBDC um, to include um different kinds of um, financial and technical assistance programs. Um, uh, things that are complicated for co-ops include filings. Um, Katie had mentioned that initially in the car um, as a, a co-owner of a co-op, how challenging it can be to navigate those systems without legal counsel. Um, and potentially for people who have, um, where this is the beginning of their uh, business acumen, it's critical to have both a network of mentors and resources resources, but also um, some really hard and fast um, access to frameworks um, to formalize the work. Um, so those are so, so those are just a couple different um, projects that are ongoing here in the region. Um, I am the Zebras Unite uh, Denver chapter lead, and um, I'm fortunate to um, be working with Corey from Dojo Four, who is the Boulder chapter lead, and we're talking about um, really creating um, an umbrella of programs and talks to uh, integrate and potentially convert people who are in the tech field 
to co-ops. Um, it, it may look like worker-owned. It could also look like purchasing groups or um, potentially dissecting the different um, process business process elements of individual businesses and creating opportunities for them to explore and experiment with cooperatives. You're listening to the Co-op Power Hour, a formerly regular feature on KGN News, It's the Economy, a production of the Colorado Co-op Study Circle. I'm Amy Lynn Herman, here with you on our final episode um, for the Co-op Power Hour. We've been holding them the fourth Thursday of every month. Today we're talking about the past, present, and future of co-ops in the region. And coming up, we'll be talking a bit more about what we hope to see in our region in 2019 and beyond. This program is made possible by you, the KGNU Listener member, and by Kelmeg and Associates, reminding you to protect your health and finances with health insurance. Open enrollment for 2019 health insurance ends January 15th. More information can be found and appointments can be set by calling 303-466-9575 or by visiting kelmeg.com. That's K-E-L-M-E-G. Welcome back to the Co-op Power Hour on KGNU's It's the Economy. I'm Katie Falkenberg, and you've been with us every fourth Thursday of the month for the last almost two years to learn about economic democracy and cooperative business in Colorado, and this is our final show. Um, We've been talking about this movement past, present, and future. And now we're going to talk about what's coming up and what we're hoping to see moving forward. Um, I have been personally interested in um, the spiritual shift that is needed to move into into deeper cooperation. Um, This is something that I see in my work as a consultant who really does a lot with different kinds of groups that want to work more deeply together. They might not necessarily be co-ops, but they're interested in uh, democratic workplaces. And we talk a lot about cooperation and how it's so great and all the economic benefits um, and how you can get legal counsel and sort of the more technical pieces of cooperation and um I think there is a hole in the conversation where we really talk through how hard it is and the emotional and spiritual shifts that we need to make as individuals to step from a society and a culture of individualism into a space of cooperation and collaboration and sharing and trust, which is really, really hard. Um, I know I see that a lot with my work and my clients is they, it just takes time. They just have to keep having these conversations and they're really, really challenging and it is extra work. And so, and, and I think one thing that the study circle experience taught us too, is that you can't do that in the abstract. You know, you can't just, you, you can't wait until you've perfected yourself spiritually and whatever <laughs> before you can begin like people yeah. that want to get going and you learn by doing and then and making space in the midst of that for that kind of further development of self and community right and and practice is part of the conversation it is a tremendous shift of values and it's even a cognitive shift i feel like mm-hmm. because we're raised to embody and imitate certain behaviors that work in capitalist contexts, but in a cooperative, you know, it's a different relationship to trust and solidarity and like moving together and and working together toward moving as a whole unit, you know, toward a common goal. That is a really tricky thing. And I think not enough attention is paid to that. I think sometimes you can have this perspective that co-ops are just a type of doing business But I actually started in this field working with collectives that were not a business. They they were a group of people coming together and horizontally making decisions um, to serve their communities through direct action. And so that's a cooperative too. Like... And that actually is a different way of doing things. So it's a a huge shift in terms of values. And on this note, um, looking to the future, I feel strongly that... um, we need more co-op developers and education. Um, I would love to see that wherever there's business and entrepreneurship education happening in the state, 
there is also a co-op supplemental educational piece there. There's no reason that that couldn't be the case. We just need more steady and sustainable resources for that to be happening. Where do you think those resources should come from? Like from the state or from... Yeah, well, curious. yeah, I would love to see, um, <laughs> see, uh, yeah, um, government funding for cooperative development because there are economic multiplier, not to mention social and cultural values to going co-op that can affect communities for the long term. Uh, I think this is something that could and should come from government funding, and I'm hopeful that um, that uh, Jared Polis could could uh, uh, give us some of that. The, the leverage to make these shifts, because um, we're not going to get, I think, there's a lot of trends that are really positive, like what Cooperatives for a Better World is doing to raise consumer awareness about cooperatives and um, things like that. But we, you know, developers and educators are still undervalued and uh, under, you know, um, they, mm-hmm. they may... Like in my own experience, a lot of folks will work for free or less than their worth because co-ops can't uh, start up co-ops often can't afford to, you know, the ca- they don't have the cash to to help with um, the technical assistance. So we need more substantial support for nonprofits and foundations and, and other resources um, to ensure that that that's education and technical assistance is accessible. Well, and after the shared ownership summit, we have interest from the business school at CU Boulder to uh, 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 start developing uh, uh, curriculum. It means that we need to find a a kind of business model. You know, Uh, the way this often works is it means that the larger, more established co-ops start sending their, you know, their executives, their kind of up and coming employees to get some extra education in the co-op sector but there's a there's an opportunity to do that there also i think it's awesome that you've uh steady circled your way into a job here you know you're now working as a yeah as a as a co-op developer and I'm yeah. still freelance, to be clear, but I ha- finally have as high of enough profile and enough kind of proof of c- concept in terms of, yeah. So I have plenty of clients, and I'm especially excited about doing a hemp producers co-op in 2019 with the recent passage of the Farm Bill. Not only is there more uh, funding for co-ops in that, but there's the legalization of hemp, and that's a huge potential industry for um, farmers. And to do that in a way that really makes uh, the, makes it possible to save family farms um, through the the kind of profit margin that C- that CBD production or other kinds of hemp uses can have is is really exciting. So I'm I'm going to continue on in this field, but we need more diverse um, and specialized co-op developers throughout the field. And I, I would even say to your point about co-ops being able to afford educators or developers, like I've heard from people, uh, national organizations that co-ops ar- across the U.S. underinvest in professional development. Mm-hmm. And so I think that yeah. that's something that the co-op study circle somewhat facilitated initially. And I hope that as as the Colorado co-ops uh, movement develops that we're able to do some like peer-to-peer learning or even to take advantage of like national platforms like DAWI, Democracy at Work Institute and their sort of offerings. But I don't know. I just feel that that is a pretty big need and we're only going to be as big as our capacity to grow, you know, as our our skills allow us to be. So I feel like education and ongoing professional development is really critical. And I think it's important to note that, you know, these, this, two-year period has been uh, largely an experiment in relating and getting to know each other, but also in building each other up in our potential um, as individuals and as, as groups. Um, so, you know, there are things that I think um, this this movement um, could align with that are already existing in the state. Um, why not create um, a co-op residency program where members um, of uh, organizations actually hire someone to, to assist in that culture shift. Um, there are, the culture is very important in the startup community. And yet I, um, have yet to see as many openings in, um, in that where they're utilizing trained facilitators, um, to, uh, have dialogue with individual, um, employees about their long-term wants, needs, and expectations. Um, more intergenerational exchange. Um, this this new new farm bill in the state of Colorado is actually has linkages to old national uh, work. 
Um, I think we're very fortunate um, as a group to be in cahoots with um, more nationally focused organizations like CoBank, um, which facilitate large uh, movements of capital to support large businesses and large industries. Um, and in keeping with that, I think that Colorado has a, a 21st century legacy of taking risk. Um, look at the cannabis industry. Look at this new hemp industry. I would love to see Silo it. Silobison industry. Right? Yeah. Uh, we're, we're, there. we're there. And I, I feel fortunate that we have uh, a governor-elect who um, is not only familiar and interested, but invested in the cooperative movement. I hope that um, there'll be that will be a continuation of a theme in his his upcoming work. Um, just to divert our conversations just ever so slightly, because I know we were having an offline conversation. I think cooperatives could be the missing link in connecting uh, public access and public infrastructural work um, with the need to create more equitable cities. And I know, Paul, um, you and I have had many conversations about um, the role of um, cooperative housing as a, as a key element um, in, in the growth of community wealth practices. Um, I was looking through my Facebook uh, groups and the Real Estate Investment Co-op for Denver is now almost three years old as a Facebook group. We're having very ripe, relevant conversations about how to transition um, what has been a cow town into a 21st century city. And I know you have a direct investment in that as a member and owner of <laughs> a co-op house. Yeah. I mean, I think we're still we're still working on like a, the very basic level of getting zoning laws mm -hmm. that support cooperative housing. Um, and also the, the other bigger piece, which is a problem for everyone, which is just financing um, real estate purchases. Um, and Commercial so, as well as residential. Yeah. Is I think what I'm hearing. Yeah. I think the ideal, you know, cooperative housing scales whenever it's really um, multi-unit, multi-family. And so, um, the model that the sort of group housing model is is great um, because it does allow people to pool resources and and limit their their expenses, um, and I want to see that thrive and have supportive zoning laws. Uh, Denver is going to be voting on that in 2019 um, to expand the number of unrelated adults that can live together. Um, but to be honest, it's kind of interesting because almost all the suburbs around Denver have more generous zoning laws than Denver itself. So it just just so happened that Denver hadn't updated it for a while. So we'll see what happens with that. But um, uh, people in my house and other cooperative houses are working closely with the zoning department to help to kind of move that forward. How can people get involved? Oh, there's going to be multiple um, like public facing meetings where you can give feedback. You, If you'd also be interested in talking to your um, city council representatives, um, or you're, even if you're in a different municipality than Denver, I think we could we could really use more people who are interested in just expressing um, their desire or their support for this. The reason I think co-op housing is amazing, just for the bottom line kind of statement, is that like it allows the creation of affordable housing without subsidy. You know, like you can just you by people pulling together and living smarter, you're not having to like create federal subsidies. You're not having to create um, build massive new developments. And so it's just more accommodating for everyday people, I feel like, um, who are trying to survive. Mm -hmm. And I think it speaks also to the the greater need that um, sort of circling back to what I think Katie was opening with is what does, what, how does quality of life factor into um, the work? You know, I think a lot of us have chosen uh, this path because we sought a different way to live and we wanted to have greater connection with each other and wanted um, new to experiment with new forms of um, being in each other's presence. And so that that as a baseline of trust and and wanting to wanting to um, explore what it means to share parts of each other that often get unrecognized in larger capitalist systems um, is, is a is a key element. I want to uh, kind of go back to something um, that uh, was was mentioned a little earlier, but I see that Katie is yeah. also pointing at me, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to give her the mic. Um, I just on that note, I wanted to touch on something that you said, which was about culture in the workplace. And like, I'm pretty critical of startup culture for a variety of reasons. Um, but I think that when we use that word in the context of conversations like this one that we're having, it's pretty has a pretty different definition 
of the conversations in the startup world where they're talking about like benefits and pay and sick leave and ping pong and beer. And what we're talking about is like, again, this deeper spiritual energetic shift towards one another and sharing governance and like the weird wobbly space where individual autonomy ends and cooperative decision making begins and like that's the space that I think about when I think about culture in this realm so I just wanted to touch on that and like get our language a little bit more clear. Yeah, and and maybe just to riff on that, I'm coming from the perspective of a lot of women in tech um, entering a a new industry um, and the historical issues related to uh, retention um, for for marginalized communities in tech. Um, Statistically, for example, women in tech leave the field before the 10 year mark because they don't have mentorship. They don't have um, those cultural pieces in the companies that they're working for that value them um, beyond uh, a worker employee situation. Um, You know, when when we talk about um, what it takes to be a parent in the 21st century, um, and its relation to things like childcare, um, upward mobility related to real estate, upward mobility related to um, educational uh, opportunities. I think it, it gets it gets hairy, and um, so I, I I also see co-ops as an avenue to advocate for um, just systems that will support uh, the growth of communities. I think one feature of the co-op culture or sorry the startup culture is that's kind of dismal is the kind of need to aim towards selling to investors right you know that that, and this i think fuels some of these elements of the culture and the and the burnout and so forth Mm -hmm. is that you know your whole existence is predicated on just selling to the highest bidder um you know i one aspiration i have for our startup culture here in colorado is that maybe we can set a different tone and 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 show that it's possible to build startups that are actually aimed towards selling to their users or to their workers or to the to the true stakeholders of those businesses. And to do that, we do need some some tools. You know, we need legal tools to facilitate that process. It should be at least as easy for entrepreneurs to have the choice to to opt for democracy than to opt for oligarchy you know like it should be like just like yeah let's make it an even choice that's something that's happened in the past in this state that's how 70 percent of the landmass of colorado got you know uh cooperative electric utilities it's how a lot of our rural areas were able to bring connectivity through phones and then later broadband you know through cooperatives um you know i think we need to think with that kind of ambition uh uh uh, that our our predecessors did for the challenges that we're facing now, and recognize that you know that that this kind of model is actually equipped to to address some of the you know the biggest things facing us right now. I mean, that's what we keep hearing, right? Is that Colorado is the Delaware of co-ops, so it feels like it's coming. I don't know, maybe that's We've like got a... the best laws. We've got a former <laughs> guest on this show about to become governor. We have a tremendous opportunity here, and we also have to wrap this show up right now. You've been listening to the last episode of the co- of the Co-op Power Hour on KG News. It's the Economy. I'm Paul Bindle. Caroline Savory. Amy Lynn Herman. Katie Falkenberg. And I'm Nathan Schneider. Uh, please stay in touch with us. Uh, uh, we're, we're still uh, running the study circle, the Colorado Co-op Study Circle. Find out more at coloradocoops.info. Uh, if you want to organize event, if you want to uh, put something together, put together your own study circle around a topic of your interest related to economic democracy, let us know. You know, We're really uh, looking forward to evolving this project uh, into its next iterations. And also, if you want to listen to previous episodes, we're oh, available yeah. completely on KGNU as well as iTunes. So you can download previous episodes if you want to learn more about Colorado's co-op economy. Absolutely. You can find those also at the uh, Study Circle website. Again, that's uh, coloradocoops.info. Thank you all so much for being here. Thank you all uh, uh, for listening. Uh, it's uh, been a real, a real pleasure 
uh, doing this show and and, uh, hearing from all the people we've brought on over the last two years. Thanks to KGNU for hosting. Absolutely. Support KGNU. Support your local community radio. Uh, This has been an amazing, amazing base for us. They've they've been so supportive. Thanks in particular to Maeve Conran for her work making this show possible. See you in 2019. 2019, the launch pad.